hopefully this is kind of helpful to, to you and the listeners, but for me, it was realising I was on the wrong bloody mountain. In consulting, it just felt like there was peak after peak after peak. Yeah. The real moment was deciding, I spent about three years trying to change the mountain. I tried to change the organisation I was in, and I realised actually the currency that they had was never going to change. And the biggest lesson was knowing when to just walk back down and climb the right mountain. There's nothing sadder than meeting someone who spent 30 years on the same mountain and they just lost their passion and their enjoyment. Welcome to the How They Lead podcast, hosted by Benjamin Wade and Ben Stocker. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of high performance, showcasing examples of how individuals and teams can reach their full potential. Together, they'll be inviting amazing guests who have defined or represented high performance in their own right. From world record breakers to individuals who have achieved first in their fields, the How They Lead podcast will showcase a diverse range of guests, each with their unique stories and insights to share. So join us as we challenge traditional ways of doing things, explore new ideas, methods and possibilities, and evolve the way people perform. Joe, welcome. Thanks very much for joining us on, on How They Lead, our latest edition of our podcast, where we're chatting to people at the forefront of their sector, their business, in terms of leadership and performance. Obviously, we met in Dubai a couple of years ago at Gitex, which was the world's largest startup and investment expo. And when you were giving a talk about the importance of mission, vision, and values when it comes to investing, uh, we finally managed to get 30 minutes in your diary. Um, and we're looking forward to hearing all about your background, your story, and what some of our listeners can take away from your wealth of experience. Sure. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, no worries. Sorry it's taken so long. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's been worth it. I think this is going to be an interesting one. Yeah, looking forward to this one. So, Joe, your background, could you just give us a really quick overview of, of your background, your story, and what got you to the position you're in at the moment with Automata? Yes, so sure. Uh, so basically, I've been in healthcare and life sciences my entire career, uh, about 26 years, um, and that's covered a, diff- a whole load of different roles. Uh, spent way too long in management consulting, sort of strategy and performance improvement consulting. Uh, if I have to have a technical anorak, it's in supply chain and logistics, which I studied okay. a, a very long time ago. But just always loved healthcare, moved into investing and then technology, uh, spent a short stint with Google Health um, uh, during COVID, which is pretty interesting. But uh, ever since then, I've been investing, but now um, covering a, a broader portfolio of different roles. So I'm now a non-exec at Holland & Barrett, the, the uh, wellness retailer, exec chair at All- Automata, the lab automation business, and uh, co-partner on a 500 million uh, health tech fund as well. So, but all around that central theme of health technology, it's the it's the thing I love. Okay, and we were doing some digging into where that stemmed from, and I, I saw that uh, tuna pasta seemed to rear its head quite often. <laughs> Would you be able to delve into where, where that came from and why that's so critical to what you're trying to achieve at the moment? <laughs> yeah, so just, just to explain, it's quite funny. So I joined Automata, um, having led the investment from Octopus into the business, um, I joined wholeheartedly last summer, and I... I did a sort of uncharacteristically very revealing LinkedIn post, which was digging into my motivations for why the hell I do what I do, and um, uh, which felt really kind of unnerving because it was incredibly kind of transparent and public. But basically, yep. it was um, it was all around this theme of um, 
and I make no apology for this being a bit of a cliche, but life being too short. So mm-hmm. unfortunately lost both parents way too young um, uh, in a way that was more painful than it should have been. I, I'm not sure either would be, would have been avoided, but mm-hmm. the, the last year, the quality of their, their lives over the last sort of, you know, three to seven years of each of their lives was, was pretty crap. And, uh, yeah, when, when I lost my mum, it was one of those moments that woke me up. I thought I've firstly got to get out of consulting because I've been doing it for about 18 years. And uh, secondly, just it it kind of funny, it fired me up in such a way not to waste a single hour. And um, okay. and it focused me on what really matters. Um, and the reason for the tuna pasta is uh, there was a um apocryphal conversation with my uh eight-year-old daughter at the time i think she was um and i realized she i explained why daddy was a bit stressed uh because i was trying to raise my own fund and was worried we were going to lose the house and uh and all she said was but will we be able to eat tuna pasta and it was just one of those my god moments that you realise what they give a shit about, frankly, and what yeah. you do. And sometimes it was such a good leveller to A, calm me down, and B, remind me why I was kind of focusing on what I am. And would you say that swayed the way that you now invest as well? Because I know that when you were speaking in, in Dubai, you were really passionate about uh, portfolio companies or potential investments into companies and them having a really good understanding and grounding, but understanding of, of what they're trying to achieve. So that cause, as you say, and do you reckon, or do you think that your experiences have swayed the way that you now invest and what you look oh, for? 100%, yeah. I mean, in a way, healthcare is, it's kind of, you're in this luxurious position where most things have an impact. So mm-hmm. compared to, you know, investing in yet another grocery delivery app or yet another kind of crypto nonsense, you know, it, it's kind of, it, you know, it matters. Um, so the only question is how much could it matter? You know, so mm-hmm. is it really niche and focused and does it change one person's life in the world or is it kind of thinner and higher volume around the world? So, um, so yeah, we're, we're really lucky in health and life sciences to be able to have that choice in the first place. So, and I appreciate for many others that choice is a lot harder, but yeah, it's kind of, it, to be honest, it's what prompted me to get into investing in the first place, which is I just saw so many of these amazing founders, incredibly mission-led, um, often have, you know, have put everything on the line because of, uh, you know, being affected quite personally. And my frustration was that, A, there are a bunch of investors that wouldn't know healthcare if it landed on them, um, that just saw every business as a, as a cap table, um, and B, there are a bunch of customers out there that just couldn't see what good looks like when it comes to technology. So it just felt like a great opportunity to bring those three worlds together, founders, investors, and healthcare customers uh, to just try and make good stuff happen. Yeah, I think we can definitely relate to that, can't we, in terms of that why and how effective our clients become as soon as they take that step back become a little more vulnerable and understand a an, an individual's why why do they come to work and why do they focus on on their mm. daily tasks but then when that combines into the the bigger picture and the why of the business they're so much more effective and yeah. collaborative uh, yeah so and, and particularly when you know when businesses are and uh, like a grocery grocery delivery app or they're, they're not in the healthcare space like actually i think what 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 we find is helping them discover 
the, the why and the values behind the business. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often, they might need to go back and kind of reinsert those yeah. Um, yeah. to try and then bring them to life. And that's that's really, really important. And I imagine you in, in, your, in your previous role in consulting and then in investing, um, you've had the benefit, I guess, of, of seeing a, such a wide variety of businesses that have been value-driven businesses, but also mm-hmm. those that have been, I guess, value as in revenue driven yes. businesses rather than behavioral value. Yeah. Um, how has that influenced like how you lead? I mean, the pod, our podcast called how they lead. So yeah. like, it'd be remiss of me to put you on the spot yeah. and say, like, yeah. Joe, like, how do you lead and where's it come from? Yeah. So love that question. I, I listened to some of your other episodes. Uh, the, <laughs> I, I'm a massive fan of Simon Sinek. I, mm-hmm. I just think the simplicity with how he talks with start with why is just so obvious that so few people and organizations do it. And, but basically, you know, it's understanding people's motivations. You know, I've seen so many leaders who just jump straight to the to the what and the how. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you do that, and it has to be done in the right way. In fact, you know, I had a workshop with a business I worked with the other day where, you know, going through people's origin stories of to, as to why they are where they are um, was so revealing and so important and just everything else about how they operate what they do just clicked into place when you heard their origin stories but sometimes it feels quite a luxurious thing to do you know when everyone's busy and you haven't got time and you yeah you're a great recruit come on board you know but actually digging into those motivations and how they manifest themselves is so important so so yeah start with the why and then after that set I tend to just prefer setting crystal clear objectives, uh, often to the point where it becomes really repetitive that people sometimes know. I know I needed focus in yeah. my earlier career. So just adding that focus, this is the goal, nothing else actually matters. Uh, but then also agreeing how much space they want. You know, So some people want quite a lot of coaching and handholding, others just leave me to it. And that's, I think that's the kind of, you have to be a bit of a chameleon to, to agree with whoever you're leading, uh, you know, how, how much or little they, leadership they actually want. Yeah. And, and I know you're an advocate for that human sort of grounded, authentic leadership approach rather than for, for personal gain or, or personal leadership. And is that how you'd recommend people just starting out on, I guess, their, their leadership journey? But, because a lot of these founders of startups potentially have not actually led before. They're great yeah. at starting the business, but actually when they start having to lead firsthand, they might not have been in that position before. So yeah. how, how would you implore that they, they try that out, that human grounded approach? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's being, you know, you're, there's nothing worse than a founder feeling the need to be something they're not. And normally mm-hmm. you, can, you, you can spot it a mile off as an investor as well. So, um, uh, but making sure they surround themselves with the right people who can then help them lead the business. So I think, you know, some of it is pretty straightforward. It's being, it's always being humble. I mean, uh, Mustafa, he's the founder and chief exec of Automata. You know, he's one of the most humble human beings you could ever meet, but also in my view, one of the best chief execs that the UK has in, in the tech scene. And the reason for that is he's very humble, very mm-hmm. open about his strengths and weaknesses and has surrounded himself with a group of people that buy into his vision, but are also able to complement his, you know, his kind of strengths and weaknesses in the right way. So, 
um yeah i think a lot of people kind of overthink it and think yeah. that they have to be some weird kind of manager some weird universal soldier who can do everything and be the master at everything and that normally ends in disaster <laughs> universal soldier i haven't heard that for a while yes, yes, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah what a film what a film i'm just um i'm gonna stop thinking about universal soldier um i think it's really interesting like the the, the i guess the vulnerability to be just really authentic as a as a founder as a leader um and have humility have humility be humble um I think that work. I think that we see that work really, really effectively mm. now. Mm. But I think I think a lot of the time, like we'll we'll be asked to come into a business that isn't maybe a startup, but it's you know it's been going historically. And I don't think there was there was necessarily the freedom in working cultures. If you go back, you know, five, ten, mm-hmm. fifteen years, when I think a, a lot of some of these people, you know, have, have first time been been managers or leaders. Um, but I think there's this really interesting moment that's oh, happened definitely. where where people are allowed to to do it their way. Yeah. Rather than rather than the universal soldier yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. So agree. And I sometimes the bigger the organization I've been in, the harder it is to do that. You know, it's it's actually pretty easy in a startup where you've got a blank sheet of paper and you can mold the business and be humble and everything else. But actually the larger the organization, the more the politics. And the more people feel the need to be something they're not. And I've, I've experienced that firsthand. And I've, I've made the mistake of trying to do it myself. You know, it's, um, and it's really stressful. You know, it's really stressful. And you, yeah, you, you're kind of putting your people at risk if you think, yeah, if you're setting the exemplar, that's how you should lead. Um, but yeah, it's, it's easier said than done. You know, there, there are some organizational constructs that just, encourage that ego that kind of pretense um and frankly that's why i've taken some of the career decisions i have (laughs) there's probably a fine line as well where displaying your humbleness but also your vulnerability especially when it comes to potential investment not appearing too vulnerable Hmm. or does that not come into consideration with yourself what's the line so obviously you want to appear vulnerable and and open up to certain central flaws or areas for development without being it's seen as a sign of weakness yeah and that the pitch is the classic moment right you know it's you've kind of you've got to you've got to do enough to show your your superpowers but not be so (laughs) so humble and you know i I think yeah post investment that's that's fine yeah that's the time to do it yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and that probably ties into some points that i saw about um building relationships and influence as well which which always comes up when we're invited in to, to support clients you get to a certain stage in your, your leadership journey and then it becomes influencing those uh, around you, above you, but also externally. And I know you, well, I saw a, a 10 by 10 matrix or your 10 by 10 approach, um, which hopefully is rings and bells, but yes. you, you had a, a framework for people to build their relationships and influence. I think this was from yeah. a very old podcast that I saw. Uh, yeah, a while yeah, ago. no, it's funny. <laughs> you're bringing it all. So funnily enough, I, I swear to God, today is my monthly day to review my 10 by 10. So oh, nice. really? Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> Perfect. So, so just to explain, uh, and I, it's one of those things I wish someone had told me sooner, but I only started doing it properly about eight years ago, actually with my coach, So, um, which is – uh understanding you know so in each column you've got different subsectors in my case it's you know life sciences it's nhs it's middle east or you know whatever it might be um 
and then the rows are just people. So what are the who are the kind of top ten people in each of those subsectors that you either currently know or you kind of know and you want to get closer to? And and it's just it prompts you to action. It's kind of structured networking, and it sounds okay. a little bit kind of you know over engineered, but. Sometimes we just kind of wander into rooms or events and just think, oh, I might meet someone interesting. But actually, if you're a bit more targeted with, uh, okay, I haven't spoken to X for six months, I really should pick up the phone. It just forces you, because that networking time is so precious, but I just mm-hmm. wish someone had told me to do it sooner because I uh, I know, you know you've, you've asked some of your other guests around followership. I'd say you know, to be a good follower one of the key things is don't be too myopic, don't be too internally focused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put yourselves in the position of the person you are following. And actually some of the best people I've worked with, the best followers, I, you know, I hate the word follower in a way, but some of the best followers, team members are the ones that just come up out of the blue with an amazing relationship where you think, oh my God, you know, and it just, it feels like they're taking the load off of you. Uh, that everyone is networking. It's not just uh, it's not just the leader. Yeah, no, I like that matrix approach. And I know um, Hannah Saunders, the, the previous guest that we had, who founded and sold Toddle, uh, she was uh, an exemplary um, advocate of networking, but doing your your preparation, your research, and going into that room, knowing exactly who you want to speak to, why, but also what benefit you can give that person as well. You build yeah. that trust and rapport so much more quickly by having that structure. So I think that 10 by 10 matrix is something that I'd definitely try out, I think. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, and when Ben was telling me when we were doing our research for this, this episode, I was thinking, actually, for emerging leaders, and we do quite a bit of work with, with emerging leaders, actually using that in terms of a way to continue to be learning. You know, you're, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. If you yeah. want to level up as a leader, like having a couple of those rows, like half of them mm. being external, half of them being internal, yeah. In terms of your networking to develop your leadership skill set, get exposed to other ways of working and the way, way other businesses do things. I think that's, that's really, really important. And actually, yeah. just reflecting live now, I think that's something we should be putting in our programs. Like actually yeah. how, to, how to build your network your developmental network yeah. as a, as yeah, a leader. And it's, and it's also the, cause when people say networking, it sounds really opaque and it's, um, you know, if someone had told me to do this 20 years ago, the people I'd be in the room with would be very different. And so yeah. it's not about going for, you know, the, the kind of chief exec of every organization, you know, cause that, that might not be doable. Actually yeah. some of the strongest relationships I now have, and frankly, some of the most useful are the ones where they were on a very similar stage to me at that time, you know, yes, 10 yeah. years ago. And I, the relationship has just kind of evolved, you know, together and we've helped one another out. And, and that's, that's how it matures into something really useful and meaningful today. That kind of ties into my, well, one, one of my last questions, if that's all right, on, on feedback as well. Because obviously you've reviewed what happened and when you should have implemented that, that 10 by 10 at the stage in your career that you would have started using it. And I know that in your decision-making process, when it comes to investing, you need to be decisive, but then also reflect back on the investments that you didn't make and why not. So how important is feedback for you as an investor? Uh, And what could you tell Mm -hmm. others about the importance of feedback? Because that always comes up. People don't have the time, the energy. It's not sexy, is it, to run through what went wrong and and use it? But actually, it's so important and, and critical. 
So, and then it's not just investing, right? It's just all forms of professional life. I, th- yeah. I think I think one of the things that frustrates me, the most, and again, something I wish I'd known, we're so British, you know, we're so, you know, and, and I think sometimes feedback jars with British culture, which is yeah. to be nice and friendly and amiable. And actually it feels like giving feedback is in some way impolite. And mm-hmm. It's probably not giving feedback is probably one of the rudest things that you can do. And yes. that, you know, and it, and that I, for me is, uh, you know, when, when it comes to giving startups feedback as uh, both, you know, when they get investment and also when they're not, but also just working with anyone. So in my current roles, I've got a couple of non-exec roles where, you know, the only way you can operate is on the sidelines, yeah, and you're you're encouraging, asking the right challenging questions. And also you have to give that feedback, otherwise otherwise you're not doing your job properly. So, um, but listen, it's easier said than done. Yeah, when, 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 you know, you're up against it, you and you've got deliverables everywhere, sometimes giving you know five minutes of feedback feels like something you can't afford but i just say to anyone you know it's pays it's uh it's definitely worth it have yeah. you got a way that you deliver it uh that no, you stick I mean, to it's, no i mean it's uh <laughs> straight <laughs> one, straight in <laughs> one, no no one of my old bosses uh yeah, I'm not going to use that phrase, but okay. he, used to, yeah. he used to call it a sandwich with something. Yeah, was, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 you know where I'm going. And yeah, yeah, it's a very kind of clumsy way, but I think, thankfully now, I've noticed with my own kid. You know, I trust. Me, I don't do this with my own kids. I'm lucky. You know, when they're teenagers, to you know, get more out yeah. of them. But um, people know it's coming. You know, people. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's the key thing is asking permission mm-hmm. it's you know is now the right time to have for a feedback conversation because yep. if you just blunder in and say right i'm really busy this is the right time for me to give you feedback and they might they might have a personal drama going on you know and then it just blows up so i think it's just asking permission first <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, yeah we, we find that so often in a, a cohort of sort of 20 emerging or, or senior even senior leaders and we ask the question how many of you have asked in your one-to-one how that that coachy or that, that person in the room likes to receive feedback hmm. and yeah. rarely do people put up their hands tumbleweed yeah. drifts yeah. across the room <laughs> um it's yeah so and I, think, I think like asking permission is really really important and i think like proximity comes up time and time again so from from the moment you want to give feedback on behavior action whatever it was i mean some of the worst feedback i've ever had which i roll out again and again and again was I was um, up for a promotion in a previous role um, and you had to go to panel and you had to qualify to go to panel. I was like, right, okay, am I, am I, I've, I've done all the stuff I need to do to qualify to go to this panel. And I sat down with my, my boss at the time and um, he said, well, we've spoken, I've spoken to the CEO and um, he doesn't think your star is shining as bright as it was six months ago. And I was like, okay. Uh, what, what do I do, I do with that? that? Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. So I think, I think, I think you're, you're really right. Like asking, asking permission, then proximity and relevance is super mm. important as well. Definitely, yeah, yeah. That's not very helpful feedback, is it? <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you, in terms of advice, what, what advice would you give to people listening, either that they're, they're, they're looking for investment or just looking to either start their business or be, become the leader that that you you recommend, being human, grounded, um, authentic. 
given your expertise and who you've seen over the years, what have you taken from, from those upcoming leaders? Oh, what gosh. would you recommend yeah, in, in a couple um, of sentences, obviously? Yeah, there's, <laughs> you could write, I think there many books have been written yeah. on it, you know. So I think the, um, uh, unless you've got that raw passion and interest in the topic, then don't even start. Hopefully, okay. you know, if, if you're already doing something, then you've got at least, uh, making money is not that passion and objective. And again, people see whether it's your team members or investors, they will see through that in a heartbeat. Making money is just the side, you know, mm-hmm. it's a kind of a, a happy outcome if it happens. Um, the, again, that kind of balanced humility is, you know, but I think the other just very practical thing um, that I've learned, it was actually whilst we were with EY, I know that a lot of people are quite critical of personality profiling, but yes. the profiling approach that I love, just because it's a bit more simple, is um, TRACOM social styles, where you're either you know, driver, amiable, analytic, or expressive. And, and actually having a look at that, knowing who you are, so knowing if you're an expressive or an amiable, yes. but then trying to do some digging as to who you're meeting, and that's because mm-hmm. I've met is so funny. I yeah, you know, when a, when a someone's coming in for a pitch, and I I, I know within about a minute whether they're analytical or expressive because yeah. those yeah. are the two, and it's so funny hearing them trying to pitch to an opposite personality <laughs> type, and and the real yeah. trick yeah, there's no wrong answer, but the real trick is knowing who your audience are. You know, so I work with people who are super analytical. I know that the only thing that matters is the data and the evidence and, you know, forget all of the emotion and then vice versa. So I just, yeah, know, know your audience and know yourself would be the kind of biggest tip. Yeah, we, we love that and how powerful that is. We've got a couple of tools that we have on our, our program which look at exactly that, so that your communication preference or how you like to be communicated with. And once you know that, you can then start looking outwardly at other people because if you don't get that match, you're going to be at loggerheads and you just can't yeah. build that trust rapport quick enough. I really want to get Joe to, to hypothesize. Oh, look at that on, <laughs> on, on the spot. Should we do that? You can try. Oh, you up for that, Joe? Yeah, go on. Go on. Okay. Okay. So we'll go Ben, ben first. What do you reckon? Um, I'm going to say driver. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, and me? I'm going to say amiable. Oh, <laughs> interesting. But the very but. Fact, but my only caveat is the very fact that, you know, knowing your backgrounds and, you know, knowing the name of the business, I wouldn't be surprised if you were both absolutely off the scale drivers. <laughs> We, it's strange, isn't it? We are. We we both yeah, show yeah, yeah. traits of of being driver. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, we're driver. Did you say expressive? Was that the word you used? Uh, no. Yeah, driver, expressive, amiable, or yeah, 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 yeah. So driver, expressive. Yeah, we, we we share traits of yeah, yeah, of each other. Although we are, yeah, we're enough of a balance that yeah, we yeah. actually complement each other. So we're not we're not through and through drivers. Yeah, which I mean, is good. yeah, yeah. Drivers. That's probably a good thing because I've I've seen some teams that. Have, yeah, about eight drivers, and it's just chaos. No one actually does any work. <laughs> yeah, there's no data, there's no evidence. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, def- definitely, uh, yeah, a firm believer of that and how powerful yeah, that yeah. is, especially when you look externally as well and start forming those hunches on others when, when you're going into meetings or mm. investment rounds, for etc. Yeah, definitely agree with that. The name behind West Peak is 
is obviously about skill acquisition and people quite often obviously realize they, they learn a little bit of knowledge and get to a false summit of, of application, think they know it all, and then realize there's a whole lot more to learn. <laughs> and there's some mountains in, in Nepal. One of them's uh, Lombucci and has an east and a west peak. The east peak is the false summit. The west peak is the true summit. So we aim to take people to, to the true summit of, of leadership skill acquisition. So, Joe, seeing as you brought it up, <laughs> um, give us your west peak moment. Uh, well, Actually, this hopefully this is kind of helpful to to you and the listeners. But for me, it was realizing I was on the wrong bloody mountain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow! Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've yeah. not heard that before. That's amazing. I'd uh, in consulting, and listen, I loved consulting. It was great. Yeah, it solved some amazing problems. But I'd spent kind of you know 18 years climbing this one mountain and it just felt like there was peak after peak after peak yeah, whether yeah. it was kind of getting to some notional job title or you know some other nonsense recognition but then i suddenly realized i thought oh my god i'm on the wrong mountain but the the real moment was deciding i i spent uh, <laughs> this is where the analogy doesn't quite stack up but I, I then spent about three years trying to change the mountain i tried to change okay. the organization i was in and i realized actually the currency that they valued mm-hmm. was never going to change and the biggest lesson was knowing when to just walk back down and climb the right mountain. And that we, you know, I mean, you guys know, you know, that sometimes the, the toughest decision is knowing when to pack it in and climb yeah. a different mountain. So, um, yeah, there's there's nothing sadder than meeting someone who spent 30 years on the same mountain and they they just lost their passion and their enjoyment so yeah yeah i love that i love that, that yeah. that's the, the first time we've had that yeah it's the first time <laughs> I, I just just like two closing bits for me so when we were naming the business so lombucci um has this east and west peak people get to the east peak you actually can't get to the west west peak by going onwards, you have to go back down yeah. and, and start again from a different side of the mountain. So that, that works really, really well. Yeah, and yeah. I, think, I think that message you've just shared, like actually 18 years, I think you said in consulting, I think for lots of for some people who are listening, hopefully that helps them. They may be thinking, you know, I've done 5, 10, 15 years on this particular mountain. I can't turn back. Too committed. And, <clears throat> and I think, you know, one of the things that came, comes out from this interview for me, Joe, is like life is short. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we can, if we can help leaders find enjoyment, value and fulfillment in, in what they're doing I th- and why they're doing it, I think it comes out massively in how they lead their people. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. It's never, never too, too late. <clears throat> Joe, who would you like to hear from next? If we could get them onto the, uh, onto the podcast, who would you tune in to listen to? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, there are a couple of my sort of previous role models. So there's a, a guy I used to work with at uh, EY is now at Baringa Consulting called Graham Swan. I think he'd be a lot of fun around okay. leadership. Um, and uh, I will definitely think of a couple of other names uh, okay. as well in, in different sectors. We'll try and work some magic and get Graham yeah, on yeah. next yeah. time. That'd be great. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> great, Joe. Thanks very much. I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man, but we've managed to squeeze in an incredible 30 minutes with you. So thank you for imparting your knowledge and expertise no and some wisdom that our listeners will no doubt take away and be able to put back into their business 
or just into their lives. So thanks very much for your time, Joe. I appreciate that. Thanks for joining us on the How They Lead podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new about the world of high performance. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to the How They Lead podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep pushing yourself to reach your full potential and evolve the way you perform. And remember, just because something has always been done a certain way doesn't mean doing it the new way can't work.